Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm in the studio with Charles Holmes from Rolling Stone, and in a minute we're going to be joined by Brendan Klinkenberg of Rolling Stone, and we're talking about the year in hip-hop, and what a year it's been. We were talking about this yesterday, and hip-hop has been the dominant genre for some time now, but in this age of streaming, it just ruled the charts this year. It just dominated. Yeah, man. Hip-hop's had a great year. Last year, it was the most consumed genre, taking over rock. Even if you look at the Hot 100 right now, the top 10, I believe at least over half of them are rap songs, and it's by people that may not be household names. You have Kodak Black or a Juice World or um, a Travis Scott. So this has been a big year for hip hop. And I think it's just because no other genre can really compete with them on streaming. It's crazy. Well, it's, it's weird. One analogy is like, I forget the exact year. It was like 91 or something a really long time ago. They switched over from, they used to do sales and stores for basically like self-reporting, which was like the most corrupt, messed up system ever. Just be like, hey, how many copies did you sell? And they'd like supposedly say that's what they sold. And it was a real ad hoc messed up system. And the moment they switched to SoundScan, that was an accurate depiction of what people were actually buying. It's like all of a sudden hip hop just shot up in the charts, as did country, but that's another story. But it, it was just like the more you accurately reveal the taste of the people, yeah. the more the more hip hop uh, starts to rise to the, the top. And I mean, but it's it's also a pure musical dominance as well, and and a diversity of sounds and styles as well. I mean, you, you you guys were saying that there can be two rap songs on the charts next to each other that have nothing in common with each other, except you could call them hip hop. Yeah, man, listen to the kids, bro. It's just I think with hip hop. <laughs> It's really still just innovating. You know, you have things like SoundCloud rap. And then in, in SoundCloud rap, you can have 20, 50 different little subgenres of emo rap or more trap. And it's just a huge, just really anything right now. And sometimes I don't even think things that are classified as rap sound like it anymore. You have Drake with one of the biggest songs um, in my feelings. Like, is that a rap song? Really? It, it could be anything. It's sounds pop to me yeah and we should hear it in my feelings in a second and we have uh, brendan klinkenberg in the studio hey brendan hi guys and what surprised you the most in this year in, in rap and hip-hop what, what like really took you <clears throat> took you aback i mean that's a tough question because it feels like 2018 lasted like a decade um <laughs> i think the biggest surprise was kind of a non-surprise but it was drake's like commercial dominance this year he did it in an interesting way especially at the beginning of the year where he was kind of trading spots at number one with himself but every song sounded very very different obviously he gotten a lot of different stuff throughout the year which we'll probably talk a little bit about but yeah i think that was the biggest surprise was how you could go from something like god's plan to nice for what and still keep a number one spot in 2018 we've queued up an entirely different drake song <laughs> and then just to, and then in my feelings yes just to show how much drake there was we have an entirely different drake song ready so let's hear that in my feelings Kiki, do you love me? Are you riding? Say you never ever leave from beside me Cause I want you and I need you So one thing we were talking about yesterday as we were preparing for the show is that the sort of youth quake of, of current rap is going strong it's the generational war that was going on has been decisively won by the kids and as you're saying brendan that's the only thing that could happen it yeah, was inevitable the, kid, the kids always win um <laughs> the youth always ends up taking over and like it's interesting to see who seeds control gracefully and who kind of doesn't but yeah you, you see it this year you see like jay-z and kanye had some real trouble getting out the gate commercially the only thing that kanye did out of his like five albums and a couple singles this year was a little pump song like that was what it took Nicki Minaj spent honestly years trying to roll out what ended up being Queen and the thing that really hit for her was a 6 9 song I think everyone was surprised by how rapid that happened I think the gap 
between someone being kind of a curiosity on SoundCloud and then becoming a commercial juggernaut is a matter of like months. And it used to be kind of a matter of years. Um, but someone like Lil Pump, people can be like, Gucci Gang, that's a funny song. And then you realize that that song is like really sticking around and suddenly like he's this bona fide superstar without having to do all that much. Yeah, that's on any level. He never did very much. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I think <laughs> the difference is, is now it's a generation of people who grew up with the internet and know how to use the internet versus a bunch of older rappers who didn't have to really do that now and like Brendan said, some of them this year have done it gracefully, and then others, like an Eminem, have not. It's it's a Bane thing. Like, you adopted the dark. I was born in the dark kind of thing. <laughs> that, that's what you're that's just, exactly. It's the Bane what theory of hip-hop, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and uh I think that commercially, we're seeing with Eminem, we're seeing with Kanye, we're seeing with Jay, Nicki, they haven't, and honestly, Drake is the Bane of hip-hop, and he adopted the dark, and <laughs> it carried him all year. <laughs> Yeah, why does Drake continue to thrive? I mean, he's not old. He's still a young man, but, you know, he precedes a lot of these artists. So why is he still thriving so strongly? I think he pays attention to what he has to do. I think he, like, looks... He's kind of one of those people who, like, looks at everyone else's missteps and then is like, how do I do that? Also, he's a preternaturally talented, like, stylist. Like, he picks up subgenres like they're instruments. And he's just kind of like, okay, I'll make a bounce song now. And it doesn't sound quite like a bounce song. It sounds like a Drake song. He just does that over and over and over again. And with the goal just being like, I'm just going to keep people's attention for another month. He's the best wave writer. I think he looks at Jay-Z as kind of like his idol. And I think Jay was very good at it, but he wasn't perfect at like just picking up the wave. Like him adopting UGK and kind of like showing it to a national audience being like, yo, look at this group. They're amazing. And now it's the biggest song in the country. Drake has taken that and he's just done it like infinite amount of times. And each time he does it, he gets better. He's done it now with Blueface literally yesterday, a rapper that almost nobody has heard who's a meme whose biggest uh, line <laughs> is welcome to the meat show. So um, he's just great. <laughs> What's the name of that song? What is the name of that song? I don't even know. Yeah. Well, Blueface is tough to keep up with. Well, You'll have to, there's been some press, but it's uh Drake's always just posting what he's listening to. Drake like, literally DM'd him oh, on okay, Instagram. Oh, okay, now it's you talking about. Okay, and okay. it's like now it's people are reporting it as news. Like, is Blueface gonna get a Drake feature? And like we've seen it with Blockboy JB mm-hmm. and all of these different rappers this year, where it's just like. Drake even just DMing you now puts you in an entirely different stratosphere of coverage, which is insane. Yeah, got Drake, it. Drake's he, the best A and R in the game. Yeah, well, he's he's kind of as smart as he is talented, or as, as talented as he is smart, which is a dangerous combination. Like that, that's how you get to be Drake. Because he also has a new song with Meek Mill, like that came out like today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. More slaps than the Beatles, man. No lies. <laughs> <laughs> I guess he's he's clearly been paying attention to the chart news. I guess, which is according to the Hot 100, he does have more slaps in the Beatles. So Drake never stops paying attention. He's just like an evil genius of like, he sees everything, he reads everything, he listens to everything. And it's just, it's very annoying how just great he is at running a rap career, no matter the quality of the music at any given time. On the youth level, and we were talking about this, I mean, one of the things that streaming seems to reflect is if you are 13 years old, you're listening to the music you love hell of a lot more times than like a 25 year old and especially like a 30 year old and for the first time we can measure that and that's 
part of why you've got people who aren't household names, I think, like zooming into the into the charts because this is this thing that we could never measure before. And you were saying that's not different. It's just we can now perceive it. Yeah. The way the charts work used to be just where is the money? And now it's a little bit more skewed to, I mean, it still skews towards money, but you also see who's getting listened to as passionately. If someone buys a Christmas album, listens to it three times, it's not the same as like in the streaming world, it's not going to quite get the same number of plays. And you can kind of see just like who's actually the most popular just by like going on Spotify. Yeah, I think it's the biggest example of that probably this year is somebody like Shake West with Mo Bamba, where that's a that's a record that was percolating like it had a really great video. It was very big on rap Twitter. You know, it's rolled out that like he has a deal with Travis Scott and Kanye. And when Brennan and I went to the show at Madison Square Garden, it's like nobody really knows in the crowd many Shakeway songs and then Mo Bamba hits and it literally felt like MSG there was an earthquake like the kids just jumped at once and like they just didn't stop shouting and that shows you what streaming does it's just like and if you look at his streaming numbers they're getting healthier because now he has what I think it's in the top 10 which is I was like, how is nobody, if Shake West was sitting in Applebee's, you could walk past him and not know who he is. And that's not an indictment of him. It's just showing how fast rap stardom happens right now. Yeah, no, it's, we got the, the Bane Theory and the Applebee's Test. Yeah. <laughs> and they, he's failing the Applebee's Test. Let's hear that song, though. Oh. Calling a young nigga fall. Where's Ollie? One thing that more than one person has pointed out is that the line between a novelty hit and just a hit seems to be blurred right now. That has always seemed to be an example of that to me. I think a lot of these SoundCloud rappers have a sense of humor. Like, I think that the the line is blurred because, like, the song can be funny and be a hit at the same time. Mwamba's kind of funny. Um, For sure, yeah. And I think that, like, to somebody who doesn't really understand, like, oh, this song is going to ring off when they play it in this place or this place, if you're just like listening to it and you're like, ah, this is a joke, then you might call it a novelty hit until like you keep hearing it out of every car window in New York for the next like four months. And then you have to start to realize there's no such thing as a novelty hit anymore. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. No, I was just, I was going to say that exactly. I think even if you look at somebody like Eminem, like he was a novelty until he wasn't. Like his first big hits, like My Name Is and shit like that, like that was a novelty. Absolutely. And now we look at it and nobody thinks that anymore. Nobody thinks like, oh, like this was supposed to be a joke. You just listen to it. You're like, oh, that's when Eminem blew up. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting. I mean, I think it applies to artists as well in some ways. I mean, it's like Cardi B, right? Everyone loved Bodak Yellow. Everyone thought it was great. It was obviously great. What was entirely unclear was whether it was just like a total fluke one hit wonder situation. You know, I mean, her resume to that point did not suggest someone who would be making an album that is topping critics lists as one of the biggest albums of the year. That was great. You know, she she was someone who had been on, on reality television, just was not the path that traditionally would expect to lead to great artistry. And that, that stereotype is obviously wrong because it did. Right. So mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to know what to what to make of that. I think. I think with Cardi B, like, yo, best rapper alive, <laughs> I think what she did that, like, you can put up her against Nicki and you think of somebody like Cardi B is she's very candid. Like, any girl in New York can go out there and strive to be Cardi B because she's documented her rise. Like, she started on Instagram. She's like, I was a stripper. I'm not ashamed about it. She went to 
on to love and hip hop. It's like a very, very organic way of saying like, here are all of my faults where Nikki honestly spent the last year trying to hide all of her faults. And it kind of hurt her because she's like, I don't know how many girls now personally want to be Nikki in the same way they want to be Cardi. That's interesting. What do you mean hiding her faults? I think Nikki, like to Brendan's point, it took her almost what a couple years to get this album off the ground. And it was a very major label way of rolling out an album where um, there was a lot of like singles that were kind of rolled out and they didn't get the response that they wanted and therefore they needed to rework the whole album. I'm obviously not privy to like what her and her team were discussing, but it seemed like there were a lot of false starts on that one. And then this year, when she didn't get the sales that she wanted, she kind of kept throwing this like extended tantrum about criticizing Travis Scott for Astroworld's like merch sales and Kylie tweeting about it as the reason she didn't like <laughs> top him in like sales and it's just kind of like Travis has been releasing music on a very regular pace and like doing stadium shows at a very regular clip for a couple years now and he's got his biggest album he might be bigger than you now and I know that that's a tough thing to hear for someone who's you know being rich and famous generally drives people crazy in like a very specific way but uh you know, you just, I mean, Queen Radio was like a really good example of what it's like to be in Nikki's head. And um, it's someone who wants you to think of her as like the preeminent superstar. And to, <laughs> to Nikki's credit, like Queen is not a bad album. It's like if you listen to it, you're like, this is a very like average Nicki Minaj album when put up against her discography like it can, it holds up but it's just like the narrative wasn't there in the same way it was with Cardi and I honestly think where Nicki faltered where Drake didn't is like Drake's whole thing is like I'm going to take young rappers and kind of like all of us rise where Nicki didn't necessarily do that and a lot of other female rappers have accused her of basically trying to stop her bag and this was a big contention who knows if that's true but i think that hurt her in a way that it helped somebody like drake yeah that's interesting i mean it may be you know it's there's gendered aspects to it that i don't know quite know how to break down it's tough to be the biggest female rapper it, it's a trickier thing and maybe there isn't enough precedent to be there's so much precedent to be beefing with other women rappers and not as much precedent to be lifting them up. It would have been hard for her to be the first one to maybe go into that paradigm. I don't know. It was unfair, I think, for us. I think a lot of the way we cover Nikki was a little unfair because it's like we're so used to like, um, like you said, pitting female rappers yes. against each other, where it was way more fun for people to do that than to actually stop and be like, yo, why is, why is this happening? Like right. that doesn't get clicks. The nuanced take of like, why do we care so much? much about Nikki and Cardi does not get the takes the oh they're beefing and we're gonna have 10 headlines about it like any hip-hop site I guarantee you probably ran a hundred headlines about that beef and maybe what one third of that about the actual music right and if anything that this sort of bad mood would she greeted anything everything it worked against her but it might have also worked in her favor because it kept her kind of in the headlines just all her weird complaints about various things when she started beef with Irving Azoff I don't even remember what that was about remember that that was crazy she was just starting beefs left and right and just on her like Apple radio show and weirdly that did at least keep her narrative going I guess I think the big winner in that was Apple yeah, <laughs> not Nikki, but yeah. And then the other thing is Cardi did surprise everyone by releasing a like extremely good album. That one came out and, you know, if you'd listen to Cardi's mixtapes and especially if you heard Bodak Yellow, you knew she could rap, but there was no precedent for her to do this. Like it's kind of that like four quadrant major label album that does a little bit of everything and like has some like pop cuts. She has like, like is trying to hit all these different pockets and then doesn't really misstep too often, 
which is just this like kind of like what rappers were doing in like the early to mid 2000s i was just like impressed that someone could still hit that and also someone who was still so early in their career because you know i definitely knew she could do an album of bodak yellows and i was like if she just does that and one of them hits she's golden but she did something a little different yeah now she turns out to be i think way more talented. i don't even know if she knew that she was this talented until she made this album she seems she seems pretty confident <laughs> i think she also just like she Worked. does something that like a lot of new rappers don't was she listened like if you read her interviews she's very very um she admits like hey i had producers and i had a and r's and i had all these people trying to help me where your average rapper is like in their bedroom and they make a hit and they're like i don't need to fucking listen to this old white a and r they're like no fuck you and like cardi listened and it helped her that's interesting. Well, we should uh, we should break, but you're listening to Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm Brian Hyatt. I'm in the studio with Charles Holmes and Brendan Klinkenberg. We're talking about the year in hip-hop, and we'll be right back with more. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and I'm in the studio with Charles Holmes and Brendan Klinkenberg, and we're talking about the year in hip-hop. We're saying that the speed of consumption has picked up, and attention spans have gone down. We're just zooming through songs, even maybe artists... But you were also saying when we were talking about this yesterday, Brendan, that's always been a huge part of the way like rap works. It, it evolves quickly and moves quickly. Yeah, rap songs trends move faster. It's um, got a lot more regional sounds, and people can make songs quickly. Definitely, since like the Lil Wayne mixtape run of the late aughts, you kind of saw that you can make songs as fast as you can. Like anyone, like there's no like rate on how many songs you can release that people will listen to. And then this year, it just feels like that's all starting to catch up on like a major label level where you have these A-list artists all dropped this year. Pretty much everyone in rap who's in like the top tier, except for Kendrick, released an album in 2018, sometimes two, sometimes <laughs> four, sometimes five. Uh, you have Migos releasing a solo album, and then three solo albums. You have like all this sort of stuff that you don't, you like, it's just coming out at such a clip that nothing seems to last. I talk to rappers all the time. I'm like, how long did you actually listen to that album? And they're like, one week. Because then the next Friday, yeah, you have another thing that you need to keep up with. It's weird, though. I mean, like, someone like Kendrick makes albums for the ages, though. You know what I mean? He's very, yeah. He um, he does. I mean, it's, it's tough with Kendrick. Like, he... Like something like Damn really kind of hit that. It sounded like 2017 and sounded like it would last past 2017. To Pimp a Butterfly did not sound like 2015. But I think you might go back to that in 10 years and be like, this is aged incredibly well. Yeah. I think someone like Vince Staples also makes albums that will last, you know? Yeah, Vince is an interesting case because his album this year, FM, was the most fun he's had on an album in a long time. I was a huge fan of Big Fish Theory, but I don't think that the rap community was as enamored with it as I was, mostly because the production was wildly experimental and like took a lot of... It was crazy electronic stuff. Yeah, yeah. took a lot of stuff from like English dance music of like 2008. It was a, a real left turn for a rapper. It kind of seemed like he was picking beats to like see if he could rap over them. And the answer was yes, but people were like, why did you pick these beats? <laughs> and then this year, he kind of just put out an album of slappers. Like, he was just like, we're going West Coast, heavy bass. The album is like 22 minutes long, and he's just as good on those beats as he is on his um, left field, like, electronic stuff. That was probably the first album that it sounded like his Twitter reads, which mm. I think was always the distinction, where it's like, Vince Staples is funny, and you're reading his tweets, you're watching your inter 
like his interviews and then you listen to the album and you're like where is this kid that's a they good were point st- they yeah. were still great but fm you listen to it, you're like oh this is this is what this twitter mm-hmm. would sound like in real life we should hear it feels like summer from that album if we can but yeah you were saying like i, I was questioning because uh, drake used the uh, the word slap as a noun and i wasn't sure <laughs> if that was the first usage but you're saying it, that is a thing you can say that that's uh, you is can a say slap. that it's like it, a banger it's a slap it's a slap yeah it's so, a pop, so you were saying that this album is full of slaps yeah FM, I, it's not it? bangers i wouldn't throw yeah. like probably any of this on at a party but if i was like driving down the street i could play it all the way through and bump it and people are like oh that sounds good all right let's hear it Summertime in the LB wild, we gon' party to the sun or the guns come out. JB first one foul out playing ball, now the whole city love you how. But we know they wasn't down from the get go. Dirty got a dozen What else kind of artistically, and we'll get back to trends in a second, but artistically for you guys, what if anything else kind of rose to that level where it's like, oh that that's actually gonna be We'll still be talking about that maybe in a few years, if anything. Um, it's tough to say because uh, a lot of it that's tied to like Charles was saying, like there's like car songs and rap songs or uh, like party songs. Like I think one that I'm going to keep going back to and the one that like kept me listening to it was Whack World by Tierra Whack, which was this just weird, weird album that's just 15 songs long. Each is a minute long. And so it kind of works as like less an album and more like a business card for someone to be like, <laughs> hey, I can make. 15 different kinds of songs look how easy it is uh, like it was kind of like putting everyone on notice there's never been a debut that made me more excited for a follow-up do we have something from that ready let's just hear anything he likes my diamonds and my pearls i said thank you i designed it <laughs> not your average girl you need a swag and i'll provide it how about for you anything anything jump out just on a pure artistic level that Oh man, you know, to me the best rapper alive right now is Pusha T, that Daytona. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, all right, when he said, um, my favorite line is, Where were you and Big Meech brought the Tigers in? <laughs> like, it's just like, I don't know. I was probably uh, like on the JV wrestling team, but it's just, it just brings me back to that time where like, I wish I was selling drugs. Not really, but it's like, Daytona is just like, it's just like fucking put it in my fucking veins it's seven songs it's push talking his shit and he's been solo for so long and i feel like um his clip shit is great he has arguably two classic albums under his belt and he's been solo for a while now and everybody's like oh he pops on a up on a kanye song like runaway or um don't like uh the chief key for remix and everybody's like this verse is great but his albums never match that and daytona was the first time where it really did and the whole rap world cared about a push a t fucking album which is insane and it might not be something where you can see it on the streaming charts but i guarantee you on end of the year list you will see it it's gotten to the point now where with somebody uh like drake people are still talking about the fact that push a t beat drake and that song dropped in what july maybe mm-hmm. in the summer and we're still like oh drake still didn't have a response and i think that speaks to just how great of an album and a year that man had it's gonna be like in five years suddenly drake's gonna have the responses when, when, <laughs> when we least expect it it's gonna come back <laughs> he's gonna slaughter him but yeah i mean back to the just on a trend basis just the and the speed of things so how is that manifesting in something like takashi 69 how is that explain the the phenomenon of takashi um 
<laughs> the, the, uh, the ups and the ups yeah, and yeah. severe so, downs so of the so Takashi Six yeah. Nine. If you don't know, is a Brooklyn rapper. He's kind of a social media savant more than anything else. Like I like when people are asking me like, what's the deal with him? I'm like, think less like rapper and think more reality TV star who's like on Instagram live all the time. And the music's like a soundtrack to that show more than it is like its own discrete product. He's like Ashley Simpson. <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> so he kind of started hitting, let's give it like the last 18 months. He uh, has these very big brash hits with these violent arresting music videos and some child sex charges to his name. That is like public knowledge. Everybody knows it. He's still popular. He's kind of playing the heel in his like grand wwe show that he's invented for himself where he's the bad guy and like everyone might hate him but like they'll pay attention to everything he does and he has a thing where he goes back and forth where it's like this is really me and then sometimes when necessary he's like oh i'm just acting bad for my for my image he even said that about the 13 year old on his lap thing yeah Uh, so yeah i mean it's usually it's usually when he gets brought to court that he (laughs) says that um but sometimes he'll also like hint that he's not a bad guy he's just playing a role except that if it's just a role he's still uh done most of the stuff that uh people would be upset about but you know he had a very quick rise the music hit in a very very specific way and then the constant controversies sort of kept him in headlines and kept kids coming back to him Um, gummo was like the breakthrough song right gummo was his biggest song and then this year was fifi which was the song that Nicki minaj brought him on it's it's not great let's hear let's hear gummo if we can pop these niggas like a willy nigga you a silly nigga in the hall with them billy niggas and them hoover niggas you run up and they shooting niggas it's not like he's without talent you know um no i mean he's not without talent i think most of the talent is like intensity more than anything else personality Um, too yeah like he's charismatic he comes across on the record um it's like dmx without a command of melody um (laughs) he has a passing acquaintance with melody but not a command yeah yeah. and then so the thing with him that's interesting is the persona that he's invented for himself starts to catch up to him this year so the child sex charges were hanging over him for his whole career but they happened before he became a famous rapper so he's kind of like become a millionaire and then brought back on charges for something he did like four years ago and you see like a very different version of him if you go to these court cases where He's very polite, says it's all an act. It was the only way out of, like, Brooklyn for him. And then, you know, the timeline on this is very, very loose. And it's something we're trying to, like, nail down in some reporting. But um, at some point in his music career, he gets involved with the Nine Trey Bloods, which is a Brooklyn gang. And that led to um, about... 10 days ago, 11 days ago, he got arrested by federal agencies for racketeering charges, which is kind of a blanket term for associating with gang members and committing crimes with them. So him and his ex-manager or associate were both brought in along with three other guys. And he's now facing 32 to life, um, according to the prosecuting U.S. attorney, which is something that, as I've been following the case, seems like it's going to be tough to um, get out with no prison time. Bail has been denied once. His lawyer plans on appealing it, but has not done that yet. So he is currently um, in custody. And unless something changes, will remain so until the trial on September 4th of 2019. And it, is, it could be the end of his career, I guess. You know. um, yeah. I mean, yeah. 
so it could be the end of his career, but also he's likely to have a number one album on Monday because his latest Dummy Boy just came out uh, on Tuesday after some delays because of the arrest, and it's streaming it's streaming pretty well. Pretty much all that's standing in between it and a number one spot is A Star Is Born or maybe Astroworld. And uh, Travis Scott, who we'll get to, but on a somewhat similar note, we're seeing these careers get cut short by one way or another. Lil Peep died. It, like It's crazy. Yeah, it's everything moves faster now. It's just, and I don't know quite like what that is. Like with XXX and Lil Peep and Six Nine, like their careers happened ex- insanely fast, and part of that was because they were talking about the things that led to their downfalls, respectively. Like XXX was involved in a lot of stuff. His shooting was not related to like his career per se, but like he rapped about dying all the time. Peep similar thing where like his music was often about abusing drugs and so when he dies for abusing drugs it looks like he's like almost a prophet talking about his own like coming death and like he also knows that that's why kids are listening to him in like with the fervency that they are i mean in some ways like post malone is like the the cheesy version of Lil Peep, right? I mean, it's like the, I mean, the the dumbed down, <laughs> like... Post Malone is the cheesy version of a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's just Lil Peep. I mean, like, they operate in, like, a vaguely similar lane in that they're white guys bringing in outside influences to hip-hop. Like, they're starting with rap drums, and then, like, what if I, like, introduce some guitars here? Peep had a more interesting, like, central guiding, like, thesis to his music than Post Malone ever has. But Post Malone... I would say, like, makes better songs. He's had a longer career. He's had a lot more resources. He's doing a different thing. I think also with Post, it's a thing where it's, like, it's happening so fast. For for Post, I think he was, like, one of those last artists where, like, he had White Iverson, and then it was a little bit slower for him. And then it took off, where with, like, XXX and Lil Peep and 6 9 it's just, like, they get all of the money at once, mm. and it just goes, where, like, I don't know if Post Malone, he was, like, at the beginning of streaming. Yeah, I mean, Post post Rise was remarkably fast compared to, like, someone three years before Post, and remarkably slow compared to someone three years after him. Like, the time to become a star now, I would peg it at, like, 90 days. At the same time, you were saying that the SoundCloud lane or the the sort of door from SoundCloud to the charts may have shut, right? Yes, so we still talk about SoundCloud rap as if it's this like (laughs) bubbling genre, but it's kind of fragmented so many different directions since just since last year. And then also the idea that SoundCloud was the platform that could make you a star was this like tried and true formula from like 2015 to 2017. And if you go on the top like 50 or 100 songs on SoundCloud now, you're just seeing the same names. Like it's just the ones who just made it through. So it's a lot of Juice World. It's a lot of Lil Pump. It's kind of almost like a slightly skewed version of like the top songs on Spotify. So it's basically dead then, yeah. I think that the most popular songs on SoundCloud is like no longer the easiest indicator. I think it was doing a lot of work for A&R's frankly like i think yeah. you would just kind of like jump on there and you'd be like who on this list hasn't been signed let's give them some money and i think also like to spotify and apple's credit like they just realized like why are we letting uh soundcloud incubate all these artists so now it's like there's this thing happening on spotify where it's like this person out of nowhere will have this huge hit and you're just like, where did it come from? And then it rolls out that they were like a plant and like a (laughs) label has signed them. Like it's just, it's, yeah, I I think there is still a ton of like 
artists who are working on SoundCloud and still a lot of like discovery to be made, it's just not as easy a narrative anymore. And the platform isn't like fulfilling this like one very specific job that it used to. It's still just a place. It's just like gone back to being a place where people put music. I like to think it makes no sense, but I'd like to think that Lil Xan somehow ended it all. But uh, I guess that's not, I guess that's not what happened. I don't think Lil Xan had any lasting impact on anything, but, <laughs> but uh, I mean, if that's closed, what's next? I just don't think it's as, it's as easy. I mean, I think the more than ever, we're going to be t- chasing like children and like seeing where their attention's going. I don't, I don't is know there, where that a, is. Is there a downside to that? Um, I mean, because it's my job, I try not to look at it in terms of downsides and upsides. Um, it's just kind of a thing you cover. It'd be like, you know, it's like asking if the wind blowing in a certain direction is a bad thing or a good thing. And like for some people, it's good. Some people, it's bad. I think for artistry, you're probably not going to get any great albums. Like if you're following that approach, but you're going to have a lot more interesting strains of like genres coming out. There's just a lot to pay attention to right now. And I don't necessarily know where that's all going, but um, going to try and keep up. We didn't talk much about Travis Scott, who was having like a coronation year, just played a crazy show at Madison Square Garden that I missed. But it, it's like, Charles, you wrote that he's the best live performer in music, period. Yeah, man. I think Travis Scott, um, this was his year. I think for so long, the narrative around Travis Scott was that he was a biter. He wasn't that talented. He doesn't really rap. He just had all of these things against him. But obviously, he had the cosigns of being signed as a producer to Kanye and as a rapper to T. But for so long, people are like, oh, well, he makes bangers, but he's just a shit rapper. And I've always been on the train of like, yo, Travis Scott is amazing. And finally, Astro World was the moment that it truly coalesced. And now he has the second biggest hip hop album of the year behind Drake, which I don't think anybody was predicting. But if you've kind of watched his savvy moves over the years, you realize he's become like a new type of celebrity. His uh, baby mother is Kylie Jenner. That's a big boost, no matter like when at MSG, he brings her out. And I've never heard a crowd scream so loud for a non-musician. They were just like, it's Kylie. And oh, I was just Jesus. like, I was like, what? <laughs> but like it, it speaks to. So wait, wait, what, what does she do? He brings her out. And what does she like? She oh, just stands there and waves. What happened? No, she gets in a roller. Coaster. They have a roller coaster that goes over the whole stadium. And so they get in. She's kind of just sitting there and he's performing on the roller coaster and they stay on it for like just going back and forth real slow for like four songs. And it's funny like watching like I watched her face the whole time and it's like excitement. She's like Instagram. She's like, I'm on this roller coaster. And then after like the first song, she's just kind of like (laughs) kicking her feet to the beat being like, all right, uh, I'm ready to go backstage again. That show was a perfect example of just like the cult of Travis or the like the cult of clout where it's like, you know, he obviously has the Kylie Jenner boom he has all of these things in the show like an inflatable spaceman that's wearing his signature jordans and he's wearing another version of his signature jordans that are gonna go for thousands of dollars and every kid in the stadium these suburban kids and their moms and dads are wearing travis scott's air jordans and they're putting on travis scott merch that's like 65 dollars for a t-shirt it's just kind of this whole cloud of clout and the people that are opening <laughs> for him are either signed to him in terms of shake waist or 
Travis Scott gave them a really, really big record in terms of like Gunna or Trippy Red. If you look on the Billboard Hot 100 today or a few days ago, Sicko Mode's the number two song on the country. He has a song with Kodak Black that he's featured on that's like at number nine. Uh, he has a Mo Bamba, Shake West is signed to him so it's like he has almost half of the top 10 that's crazy are in his sphere are either on tour with him or signed to him or are him what, what should we hear by travis in a minute um it's tough because there's a lot going on me and brendan are going to go sycamore's the big one yeah, sycamore's the, the big one, one yeah. but yosemite's the best song on yosemite the album. Right, well, is the best. let's get those both ready but yeah sorry go on yeah. um and i think what this year showed for travis is that people are buying into the brand more so now than ever and he was the best at marketing it and i think he was the best at marketing it in a way that a lot of the older crowd were not i don't know how many kids want to be eminem i don't like they used to i don't know in 2018 how many people want to be him in a way that they want to be travis people want to dress like travis they want to buy shoes they want to buy his merch and they want to follow kylie and all of the stuff that's happening with his baby. So let's hear uh, sickle mode to start. Made this here with all the ice on in the booth. At the gate outside, when they pull up, they give me loose. Yeah, jump out, boys. That's Nike boys hopping our coast. And, this shit and then Yosemite as well. And I think also with Travis, what he's done with his success is he's kind of shown that there can be the opposite. So I think on um, for hits generally, they're very formulaic. And by all accounts, Sicko Mode should not be a hit. There's three different beat changes. There's three different artists on it. There's tons of samples it's just changing so much it's not something that like i would say your passive listener is used to it's not very repetitive brandon and i are having a conversation like the best thing drake probably did this year was the intro to sicko mode and <laughs> travis just cuts it off at like the apex which shows his genius charles mentioned this earlier uh, about how people thought that he was kind of just this like trend writer he kind of like took everyone else's ideas and i think like it had this like opportunistic edge but if you go to these shows at this point where he's like really got the catalog to kind of fill out a full stadium show travis scott's just like a functionalist like he's mostly just like what's gonna work mm. and like all of his songs are designed to work in these very very like specific things and if you're not someone who's going to travis scott shows or like hearing travis scott songs and like losing your mind to them they don't really work as well and so like there's a reason critics are not like all in on him or haven't been until this year and it's because like he's very unconcerned with like what anybody except getting a reaction does for him absolutely so this has been today's rolling stone music now we tried to capture the year in hip-hop thanks to charles holmes and brendan Clinkenberg, and we'll be back next week here on sirius xm volume channel 106 in the meantime we are a podcast download us as a podcast subscribe to us as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to leave us a nice review if you can and in the meantime thanks for listening and we'll see you next week